Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. I'm going to be turning to Psalms 144. Psalms 144. Hallelujah. Thank you, sign team. Amen. At this point in time, we do that as worship. It'd be awesome somewhere along the line to have deaf people. Um, the demographics of our area isn't necessarily accommodating in that direction. We've checked into that before. Matter of fact, I think there's only one deaf person we've ever talked to in their home in the city of Mount Carmel before we went there. I talked to them by virtue of an interpreter. My wife did most of the talking <laughs> with her hands. Thank God for the gift he's given me in that. I never thought in my life that whenever we went to evangelize and I'd ever preach to deaf people and I'd have a wife then that would be talking to them and preaching while I preached. She preached while I preached. And so, so thankful for that. I think that's the reason why she starts preaching every once in a while. Because she preached whenever we evangelized, whenever we had deaf people in the audience. Amen. And so, I tell you what, to interpret what I'm saying sometimes is not easy. <laughs> right now. Fast. Son, I'm slow compared to the way I used to be. I'm telling you right now. I don't know age slowed me down or what, but I'm slow compared to what I used to be. I get my tongue wrapped around my eye tooth sometimes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Brother Tim Hammond gave me a hard time at men's conference. I opened a keynote address, and he got up to preach, and he said, if he had just slowed down, you all might have just got what he said. I'm telling you right now. Give me a hard time. Amen about it. Thank God that we're all created in a different way, though. Amen. Psalms 144, I'm going to read just a few verses, just a couple of verses of Scripture there here this evening. Glad to have our guests with us tonight. Amen. And those of you that decided to return for part two, amen. Not that I'm in a message that I'm going to preach this morning, continue tonight, but we're just in this here again at 6 o'clock for service. Psalms 144 and verse 9, the Bible says, David says, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God. Upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. It is he, everybody say God. It is he that giveth salvation unto kings, who delivereth David his servant from the hurtful sword. I was betwixt and between, and media is making fun of me tonight too. Because I had sent them a text and I said undecided, and I gave them two, two titles. And so they're making fun of me because of that. And so you can choose tonight. I'm either preaching the king of kings or God saved the king. I think they went with God saved the king. But you can walk away and call it whatever you want to call it. Just call it the word, I hope. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The king of kings or God saved the king. Father, I come to you tonight. God, I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for God allowing me, Lord, the opportunity to be in your house again. God, the opportunity one more time to... 
stand, Lord, in this place in, posi in, in position of being the oracle of God. Uh, no, God, I do not take that lightly, for when we speak here, we're speaking the very words of God, Lord, to people. I pray, God, almost, Lord, standing in as a mediator, Lord, mediating what heaven would say for this moment in time. I pray, God, anoint my mind. God, mark any air from my lips, Lord Jesus, I pray tonight. God, and help us, Jesus, just sit around your word for the next little while. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. I'll go with what they have. God, save the king. King Hassan II of Morocco loved the game of golf and had his own private course that was built. Yes, you can do that type of stuff when you're king. He had a nine-hole course of golf that was built on his domain, had 43 bunkers or what some would call sand traps upon it. The king, though, could never seem to avoid landing in most of those sand traps. Brother Mason, he called in even some of the golf pros to help him and aid him that were experts at knowing how to play out of sand traps and how to play out of the bunkers. And so he called them for their expertise to improve his game. But even after they came and he continued to fail, he did what any king would do. He ordered that the course would be changed and all three 43 bunkers would be removed and sod would be put in their place, providing once again a nice even ground along the hose. And so in his day and hour, it's just good to be king. Oh, the benefits of king, but anything really a person of royalty. I read some time ago now, back in, in a long time ago, this article that I have, Newsweek reported in the year 1990 that Princess Diana had spent more than $1.9 million for her wardrobe since her engagement to Prince Charles in 1981. In nine years, she spent $1.9 million, Sister Ashley, just on her wardrobe. The average then out over each year would have been $200,000 a year that she spent. It included, if you want to know what that wardrobe was, it included 95 evening gowns, 176 dresses, 178 suits, 54 coats, 141 hats, 71 blouses, 29 skirts, 28 sweaters, 350 pair of shoes, and 200 purses. That's not to include that she had also had spent $22,950 on underwear. Oh. <gasps> And $11,000, $11,475 on stockings. The benefits of being princess. The benefits of being princess. And I dare to say tonight that most of us, whenever we think of royalty or we think of a king, it's, it's, it's thinking of an individual that's at the pinnacle of their system of domain, a person that could have anything that they ever wanted you know they have their squires and their maids and their butlers and they're constantly there at their beck and their call and that they serve in a monarchy they answer to no one except themselves they are the ones that make the laws they are the ones that interpret the laws they are the one that enforce the laws and, and, and they know that 
their throne as a prince or a princess, they know that their throne is by lineage. It comes as being a part of the family. It will be given to them because they are part of the family and they know that their wealth comes by the same. The wealth that is associated with the family uh, heirloom, if you will, or the family name will be theirs someday. And so they are rulers. They are rulers extraordinaire, rulers of kingdoms and rulers of domain and, and more one might even say, man, their, their coffers and all of the treasury that they have, man, it's got to be full of gold and silver and the finest that the world has to offer that a person could buy 173 dresses, you know, within nine years and so on and so forth. And when we read concerning royalty, these individuals are, are the commanders of their own armies. They're the commanders of their own armies. They, they can declare war on another kingdom or another nation or they might give peace to a situation or peace to a person. And that's entirely up to the king. Entirely up to the king. They can marshal an army in a moment's notice. If they need to, if they find it necessary, they will have men in just a moment that will be willing to sacrifice their lives to protect the life of their king. As a matter of fact, the protective layers of the king is so vast that even in the Bible we read of that David is coming on a situation where Saul is still king at that time and he's coming upon Saul and his men at night and the Bible says that Saul is asleep in a trench but the captain of his army, Abner, is laying there asleep and there's other men that are lying around him that are asleep and it seems as though Saul then has an inner circle of men that at all times, even when he is sleeping is surrounding him as a last line of defense. If anybody would wish to do ill will against the king, they would have to go through everybody in order to get to the king. And that's part and parcel why we read in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 31, that whenever the Bible says that Saul was dead upon the top of Mount Gilboa, it says that his three sons were dead and that his armor bearer was dead as well, and that all the men that had been with him in that region were dead because they no one was going to get to the king or pursue the king without going through every last single one of the men willing to hazard their lives for the king and so the king has if you will command and power of his own army we read also that he has power in his words he can give a decree a dictate a word and they're so powerful that he can speak them or he can write them out and they have the same power bible says in ecclesiastes 8 and 4 that where the word of a king is that there is power and who may say unto him, what dost thou? We've seen this played out in Scripture. Esther, she sought a man, King Ahasuerus, that went out a decree with his name on it, with his signet ring and enstampment upon it, that the Jews on a particular day were going to be slaughtered and they were going to be taken advantage of and be made prey, if you will. When Esther heard word of this, she wanted to turn all of this around. She didn't want this to happen for her people. She was willing to uh, pull back the curtain and show her identity as being a Jew which was covered and secretive up to that moment in time and she goes to King Ahasuerus and says I, I want this all taken care of but he basically tells her what's written is written I can't reverse what has been placed. My name has been placed upon. Where my, my, The power is when I speak or when I write. It is so. It's so powerful that it's going to stand without any alteration. Oh, the power of a king. 
The words of the king are so strong and so definitive that even King Darius, he was a little bit, the Bible says it plainly in Daniel, he was displeased with himself. When he learned that Daniel had still opened his window and three times a day had prayed unto the God of heaven. The Bible says King Darius was, was displeased with himself because he knew by his authority, by his ring, by his name, a decree had went forth that anybody within that 30 days that, that served any other God except the gods of their land would be thrown into the lion's den. He was displeased with himself because he knew it was impossible for his words to be changed, for the power of his words to be changed until they were completed. They were going to be sure, they were going to be steadfast until they accomplished what they were sent to accomplish. The power of a king's word, the power of a king in his army, but even so much so, even scripture and in our world today and through Diana, Princess Diana, we've seen that they have some tremendous riches Kings do. None perhaps in scripture for that matter surpass the riches of Solomon. Other kings no doubt fared really well, notably well, but none perhaps surpass the riches of Solomon who had 1,400 chariots and he had these chariots imported. Now we're not talking about today export-import. We're talking about traveling down a river for some time from distant lands. He had chariots imported. He had horses imported. Amen. He had silver and gold. He, the Bible says that silver and gold was so common in Solomon's time, they were like the stones in Jerusalem. He was so rich, he made cedar, cedar wood that was very rare. He said, I'll make them like the common trees in the wood that's in our land. These, these, these uncommon cedars. The Bible says that even when the queen of Sheba, someone else of royalty, came and seen Solomon. And she began to see everything that he had. That she was astounded. And she was a queen. Not just a commoner, but a queen was even astounded. The Bible says she saw how his house was. How he built it. The meat of his table. The sitting of his servants his attendants, his ministers, their apparel, his cupbearers, how he went up with all of his entourage. And the Bible says when she seen all of that, that there was no more spirit in her. She was a queen, was astounded at the riches of this king. The riches of a king. He had precious stones that were imported. He had trees that he made harps and pillars and salt trees from. And the Bible says just in one year, he took in 666 talents of gold. Beside the gold, he got from the merchants and the kings and the governors, so on. So 666 talents of gold. He had a throne that was made of ivory, that was overlaid with gold, that had six steps leading up to it. On each side of the step was a lion. Flanking each side of this ivory, ivory uh, throne overlaid with gold was a lion. He had a constant throughout his kingship flow of gold and silver and apes and peacocks. and I mean, a peacock for crying out loud. All these different things, spices and horses and mules. All of these were brought to the feet of the king. And so when through our mind's eye, not just of scripture, but real world, we are thinking the majesty and the grandeur and all of the greatness of royalty and kingships. Queen Elizabeth, we think of their riches. We think of their power. We think of their command. We think of everything that they can have that's at their fingertips, that they're not hurting for nothing. They can't be wanting for nothing. There's nothing that they can't get at their hand or at their power, at their authority or at their command. They have need of nothing. 
But while we're saying that the riches are insurpassable and their authority is insurpassable and, and their military strength is insurpassable, David is taking his pen and applying it to the page when he talks to God and says, I'm going to write a new song unto you, O Lord. I, I, upon, uh, upon the instrument of ten strings, I, I'm going to make a song unto the Lord. I'm not making a song right now for myself. I'm not making a song right now for the common man of Israel. I'm not making a song for a queen or somebody a majesty or a prince because I understand that I have been a shepherd boy in the pasture and I've also been a king in the palace and I understand it is God that gives salvation unto kings someone hear me right now in other words the very thing that we esteem is the highest of the land we might for America call it our president or governing bodies or senate or congressmen men that have everything at their fingertips but there is one thing that lies overarching over every individual of power and prestige that's even in this place tonight that God is the only one that can give salvation to mankind Let me break it down for you like this. The army of the king is so loyal enough that he could have them if he wanted to encircle his palace for days upon days, several men thick, several men deep without any rest if he wanted them to. His word is so powerful that it's powerful enough to continue unchanged until it would complete whatever he said to be done. His wealth is so vast that he could keep on purchasing kingdoms at will anywhere and everywhere everywhere that he wanted but there's something that is very important today he could not set an army up and siege if you will his personal salvation he could not declare a word amen to set himself at liberty or delivered on the spiritual plane there would not be enough money in his coffers to purchase the freedom that he needed because the greatest the wealthiest the most powerful cannot save themselves It cannot happen. It cannot happen. If somebody say it cannot happen. And with that being said today, in the religious world, in the apostolic world, you pick anybody you want, anybody of grandeur that you think of, anybody that's had a legacy and a heritage all the way back as far as they can trace, as far as being in the kingdom of God. They too differ none from the king. They too differ none from the queen. And the fact of the matter is this. It doesn't matter how many grandpappies they've had in the church. It doesn't matter how many grandmothers they've had in the church, how many churches they built, how many people they seen saved in the heritage of their lifetime. We all cannot save ourselves. Someone say amen. No doubt kings have means. Available to them, Brother Terry. But after all, it is God, David says, that gives them their salvation. Some men would be envious of King Hassan's the second nine-hole golf course. Millions of women, perhaps, worldwide would have swapped places with Princess Diana with a 1.9 million budget for nine years on a wardrobe. 
there isn't a worldly possession. And there isn't a title. And there's not an inheritance that can give us the deliverance that we need. The salvation that we need. I hear people say, oh, if I could just trade places with them. Let me tell you something. If you traded places with them and you were still without God. If you would trade places, because I, I hear it, folks. You know, we're, sometimes we get like the, the children of Israel that's leaving Egypt. Why do they want us go back? Go back to the leeks and the onions. Go back. At least we had food and we had this and had that. Well, of everything you want to talk about that you had, let's talk about what you didn't have. You didn't have deliverance. You didn't have freedom. You didn't. We need to somehow stir our awareness before we start claiming what we don't have that we used to have. We better take inventory. That weather. You can think of the most highest dignitary in the world. And that person cannot save themselves. David said it like this in Psalms 39 and 5. He said, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before thee. I mean, what does time look look like through the eyes of eternity? My, 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 my days are a handbreadth. My life, my, my age is as nothing before thee. Look at this phrase that David says. He says, Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. He's not just speaking that as a once was shepherd boy, he's speaking that as someone that knew the posh and the pomp of the palace. He says, whenever I give an estimation even of my own life, and I've been on both sides of the tracks of this thing, I understand through the eyes of God that my best days are still lagging far behind what God. The old saying used to be, your best days, your worst days in the church are better than your best days in the world. Well, here's your premise right here. He said, my best days are altogether better vanity when I thought I had it all when I thought I owned it all when I thought all power and authority was at my hand I understand there's a God that can only give me salvation he's the only one yes in so much that Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament he says Timothy Teaching you here, son. I'm a son of the gospel. I need to relay some things to you. His father was a, was a Gentile, not a Jew. He, and so he says, I'm, I'm going to be your father in the gospel. I'm going to teach you something right now, Timothy. So I want you to know that God, and this is the wording that, that Paul used for Timothy. He said, God is the only potentate. He said, God is the only potentate. God is the only king of kings. And the Lord of lords. 
See, what I'm telling you here, son, is, is as you're growing in ministry and you're going to go to the church of Ephesus and you're going to fight with the beast of Ephesus like I did and there's going to be hardship and despair and you start looking with a longing eye at the kings of this world. Uh-huh. Understand that your God is the king uh-huh. of kings. When you consider the power and the lordship of some of these domains and with a longing eye you consider him, let it be known that there's only one potentate and he is the Lord of Someone say amen. He says, you, you got to understand, you got to understand this. Hey, dear Timothy, hey man, they have all these different things. Hey man, the king does not have by virtue of his office or by virtue of his wealth or by virtue of his military force. He does not have what God can give. And that's salvation. You got to consider the mindset of David. Just moments earlier in Psalms 144, David is pondering a pondering that he had pondered before. Don't you like that? He was pondering a pondering that he had pondered before. (laughs) And what he was thinking about, (laughs) let's change it up a little bit. What he was considering just moments earlier is how could God condescend to the common man and take knowledge of him? That's what he said. He said, God, what is man that thou would take knowledge in this particular chapter? That and others, it's, thou art mindful of him. But he says here, what, what is man? He's speaking just about the common, everyday man. What is man that thou take knowledge of him? Considering this great God of God, God, how is it that you can stoop that low to consider the normal, the normal, the common man? No doubt he's thinking of himself back in the day of just a shepherd's boy, of one of several boys in a family. God, how is it that you considered me on the backside of the pasture tending stinking sheep? How can you stoop that low? And then it's almost like a light bulb aha moment. He switches and says, well, here I'm thinking, here's God has to be considered of little old me, but the king can't even do and become or be, or enter where the God of heaven is unless God grants something. Unless God grants something to him. And me as a common man, I used to esteem the king, but the king can't even get salvation unless my God gives it. So don't be sucking your thumb on the church pew. Don't be sucking your thumb on the church pew and say, woe is me as a child of God. Woe is me as a Christian. I, I, I got to pay my tithes. Don't be sucking your thumb there on your seat and talking about, well, if I had that $10,000 I gave to the church this year, I'd have been able to pay off the vehicle or the mortgage would have been down that much low. And if this had happened or that had happened, then I'd been off in a much better. Don't you sit there and suck your thumb over that. You need to give some consideration here that the very God got to put all things in perspective. You're esteeming everybody else around you. Look what they get to do. Look what they can get a new boat or they can do that or they can do this. You need to get your perspective right and consider that that person can't make it to heaven unless God gives them salvation. The president, I don't care who... 
Don't you dare feel the intimidation of a member in your family that's not in church that starts to talk about their new house and their new appliances and all these very things. Honey, they can have all of that and miss the very key thing that they need and that's salvation from God. If they get it or if we get it, it all comes from God. rescuing around here. <laughs> oh, but <clears throat> the kings of the natural world have an army at their command. True. Without refusing, true. But the king of kings, David said in Psalm 68 and 1, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. Kings of the world have command of marshalling an army could declare war or peace upon whom or whatever situation that they would. I agree. That's true. But my king, but my king, all he has to do is act like he's on the verge of getting up. He don't have to say anything. All he's got to do is make a motion as though he's arising and enemies are tucking their tail and they're scattering because he's the king of... He doesn't send in his troops. He just makes a motion and they flee. <laughs> oh, but Brother McGee, uh, they can bring those men in and those men are, are willing and they're apt and they're diligent about if, if the king would ask of them, they will go to war. They'll put themselves in harm's way. They will sacrifice their lives to protect the honor and the life of their king. True. True. But in the economy of heaven, the king of kings gives his life to save the lives of the poor, to save the life of the black, of the white, of the Asian, of the near aborted, of the aborted, of the hater, of the whoremonger, even of kings and majesty and principalities in high places, he gives his life so they might have life because the salvation is going to come to the highest of known society. It will require our king. Oh, but the power. Brother McGee, you, you, you kind of skipped over the power. An alterable power. That's in the word. It's, it's an alterable. They can't reverse it. The power of a king. So true. So true. 
but concerning the king of kings that we have. Hebrews 11.3 says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The word of a natural king can do something about things which are in existence. He can manipulate what's there. But our king has creative power in his word. That he brings things to existence that formerly did not exist. His word is sure. His word is settled. His word is sustainable. David said your word established the earth and it still abides and it continues to this day in the Psalms. The word of our king doesn't just command things that exist, but it brings into existence things by his command. They could sit down and they may tabulate all these astronomical numbers as Newsweek did, measuring their net worth of natural kings, their net worth, what they're worth, their domains, their servants, their households. You know, there are 52 chickens that they slaughtered for lunch that day and all these different numbers that can be acquired and amassed to show forth their worth and their wealth. Amen. But our king, our king, that's the king of kings, Ephesians says has unsearchable, unsearchable riches. In other words, that what that explains to me, Brother Fred, is this, that even if a man made an attempt to begin to calculate, count, or come up with a figure, he would never finish coming up with a number. He would never finish, amen, telling the net worth of the king because in essence this, they cannot, his riches cannot be measured. And while natural ones, even as Solomon did, had ivory thrones that were overlaid with gold, my king is so wealthy that rather than overlaying an ivory throne someday with gold, he's going to make streets of pure gold and take one pearl and said, there's a gate. I'm talking about the king of kings. And when you take all that in consideration, remember this. It's God that gives salvation to earthly kings. The Bible says in Psalms 20, David penning the words, verse 6 through 9. David says, now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. David speaking of himself, being, had been anointed as king. The Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. He says some, I like this, always have like this. Some trust, he says, in chariots. He says in some in horses. He's talking about other kings. He says, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He said, they are brought down, the earthly, that trust in these type of measures. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen. And stand upright. And David proclaims, Save, Lord. Let the king, that king, let that king hear us when we call. Again, David said, I've been the shepherd boy. I've been in the pastures of my father. I've been known 
or rather not known. I've been a no-name, if you will. I've been the discarded shepherd boy that God gave salvation to and deliverance to, just a common man. But I also know, I know if it wasn't for the aid of the Lord in that time that the lion and the bear and the Goliath could have all been just my last battle that I fought. But God, God gave salvation just to a common man. But I also know, different from then as it is now, I also know that a man... Standing here is a man that had the holy anointing oil fall upon my head, down my brow, and drip off my cheek down to the skirts of my garment. I know as king that there were some straits in the, my life as being king that I would have not survived had it not been for the Lord. And so if you think that he stooped for the shepherd, also know that he stoops even for the kings of the world. And if salvation happens, it happens because God gave it to them. Hallelujah. David said other kings have just trusted in perishable things, amen, for their deliverance, and they have failed miserably by doing so. Hallelujah. But whenever they were falling, I was still standing. When they were falling, I was still standing because I said to my Lord, God save, O King, please hear us. There is no perk or privilege in the kingdom of God that's extended to one and not to the other. There is not in this walk of life certain people getting this get out of jail free card and there's not another one in the deck for you. Furthermore, there is no place or position in the church that warrants you a free pass just because of a title or a position or an anointing or an ordinance or a charge. The Bible says in Matthew 3, 7, this is a story concerning John the Baptist. He's been baptizing there. The Bible says when he, John the Baptist, that is, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, where he was baptizing there, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. These are religious people. He said, bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Look at verse 9. And he says, and think not to say within yourselves that we have Abraham to our father. John says, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You know what happened? These religious authorities, scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees gathered around, seen all this baptism business going in. You know what they thought? They thought they were good enough. And their claim was this, if you trace our lineage, you can trace our pedigree and family tree all the way back to Abraham, the founder of this Jewish nation. If you would look at us, if you look at us, you, you could trace. I found, I, I've learned in evangelizing, talking to pastors, rubbing shoulders with people, that there's people that can get to a certain place in the church. They believe that they have right to sin because they have a position. Listen, 
that they believe that all the other rules and regulations and things that pertain to the word of God doesn't pertain to them because they have arrived. That if you make it enough within the ranks, that that rank seems to lose impact and dominion. And so here's scribe and, and Sadducee saying, you can trace us all the way back to Abraham. What do you got to say about that? what it came down to. I know you baptize and these folks really, man, they're sinners. They really need, they really need baptism. They, they, they need repentance. They need all this stuff. But we are the children of Abraham. See, see, don't, don't be calling anything out in our lives, John, because we are religious authorities. Every, every prophet needs a pastor. Every evangelist needs a pastor. Every teacher needs a pastor. Every apostle needs a pastor. And every pastor needs a... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Someone say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, so this is, see, 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 things start going a little topsy-turvy whenever people in your life don't have the right to give a no to you in your life. Uh-huh. And so we, we, we see all these things, and, and he's saying, well, we, we go all the way back. We go all the way back to Abraham. And here's what John said concerning the idea. He said, listen here, boys. I don't mean to ruffle your feathers. He said, but let's just set the record straight. That if God wanted to, if he really desired to, if he would lift his pinky finger, if he wanted to, he could raise up some more children of Abraham from these inanimate object stones. If he wanted to, he could give life to the lifeless and have some more children of Abraham if he wanted to. You know what? Well, you know what he's trying to convey to those old boys? He says, before you start feeling a little too self-important right there, before you button the, the, your robe a little too tight and pull your garment and your belt a little too snuff right there, talking about where you came from and what your heritage with is, just let me tell you something. God can create another you from nothing. God can create another you from nothing. And the fact of the matter is this, you need God a whole lot more than God needs you. Whether it's pauper or whether it's men sitting in palaces, whether it's a praise worshiper on the pew or a keyboardist or a pastor, we need God a whole lot more than God needs us. Because without Him, we're all without salvation. He says, as you tell about being a child of Abraham, let me tell you about your dear daddy, Abraham. I took him out of a pagan environment, out of a pagan family. I separated from his kin and his people with purpose because they were a bunch of pagans serving false gods. But I separated him for my purpose and I chose the nation that would come from his loins for my purpose. And he said, so as a king, if he was protecting the people, understand this, that the king needs a protector, and that is only me. He needs a deliverer. He needs salvation. And that's me, big boy. Here's the, the wisdom 
wisdom of God. I got to hurry. Romans eleven thirty two. This is what this is what Paul says in the book to the Romans, being inspired of God, inspired of the Holy Ghost. He says, "For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that He might have mercy upon all." There's some important words there. God, this is the conclusion of God. He concluded, everybody say all. In unbelief. With purpose. Because if all were unbelief, he could then have mercy on all. Now as Paul's coming down the pike writing Romans chapter 11, he's talking about there's some being a part of God's Israel. He's talking about some that are not. He's talking about some that are Jew and others that are Gentile. He's talking about some that are a branch of the holy tree. And he's talking about others that are of a wild olive tree that's been grafted into the holy tree. He's talking about some that are rich, others that are poor, some that are bond, and others that are free. And then he comes to that verse and says, but God has concluded all these. Whether Jew or Gentile, poor or rich, bond or free, God has concluded all of these in unbelief. Because he said in verse 30, they obtain mercy through their unbelief. In other words, he's saying God does not see king and pauper. God does not see rich and poor. God does not see your heritage or your lack thereof. God does not see your title and your eloquence and your number of years of being on the church board and no, no, nothing against anybody. God does not see all that. What God sees is a bunch of people, regardless of their status, who are all in a series and a point of unbelief. And God says, I esteem everybody at that place because it's the only way I can bring mercy unto them. I conclude them all in unbelief so that I can give mercy to them all. Oh, God's chosen people. God's chosen people, the Israelites. Well, you don't understand, boys. He gave us, he gave us water from a rock. Yeah, gave us water from a rock. Now you Ammonites and Moabites, and right? All you other Amalekites. Man, you go and walk in your hot cotton, but God gave us water from a rock. Say what you want, do what you want to say. Whenever there wasn't even any water to drink, God made sure a tree was there when we got there that we could throw in the water and made bitter water. Sweet God. See, we, me and God kind of got this thing going on. Me and God rub shoulders. Me and God's in this clique. He dropped manna from heaven. Enough that each family could have what they needed for the day. And the next morning, he dropped more. He did that for us. And whenever we were a little over the manna diet, he gave us quail. Sure did. I mean, so deep. So deep, so wide. He gave us quail. So much so that we ate it till we was throwing it up through our nostrils. Read your Bible. It's there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what God did for us. Can't you see? Could you imagine what type of air could come with being known as the children of God. 
Sister Candy, it still does today whenever people talk about being Christian. And yet David recalls all these Israelites, God's chosen people, children of God. He was fed, you know, manna from heaven, water from Iraq, all this various stuff. He states two verses in the Psalms that lead like this. He says concerning Israel, he said, had it not been for the Lord, <laughs> which was on our side, say Israel. He said, if it had not been for the Lord on ours, who was on our side, he said, understand this. He said, we would have been swallowed up. We had been overwhelmed as by great waters. We had been taken as prey. We had been ensnared as a bird. Had it not been for the Lord that was on our side. Had it not been for the Lord that was on my side, I could be the town drunk. Had it not been for the Lord on my side, I could just be blown away with prostitution on every corner in the city that would allow it. Be having intravenous drugs put through the course of my body every day of the week. Throw up, wake up, just do it again just to escape all the pain and the agony. Of my, if it had not been. It is he, it is God that gives salvation to kings. Stand with me, I'm going to come to a close here. This evening. It is God that gives salvation to kings. This concept needed to be so impressed. Upon the minds of the people, and you need to follow me here very closely. Needed this to be so impressed upon the minds of the people that he used his own son, Christ Jesus, for an illustration. There is no clearer picture, in my estimation, of the phrase that it is God that give of salvation to kings than in the man Jesus at Calvary. He hung upon the cross as a man. You hear me? He hung there with a crown of thorns that was placed upon his head and the moment that was placed upon his head prior to the cross, people were bowing down to him, mocking and saying, Hail! The king of the Jews. They even placed a title above his head as he was strung from that cross. The king of the Jews written in three different languages above his head there. And while he is there affixed to that tree. The people are not shouting God save the king. No. Almost with taunting words, they're saying this. He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. Listen to me. The most clarifying moment for me comes when Jesus, as a man, 
I know he's the God man, but there's sometimes he functioned just as man. Other times he just functioned as God. Jesus as a man, after the similitude of humanity on that tree was, he was exemplified, if you will, on that cross as a fleshly king. A human king that even to the estimation of the people could not save himself. The Bible even tells us in, in the different harmonies of the Gospels when we read it that Jesus there affixed to the tree that there came that point in time that in his flesh he felt like God had forsaken him. That in his flesh he felt like there was a separation of that God that had been in Christ. He felt as though that there was a restraint going on. Normally where the miracle was done, you know, and blind eyes were open. Like there was a restraint now of the being withheld from that being accomplished. There's a restraint there. And Jesus, as a man on that tree, interpreted, if you will, at that moment in time as a human, fleshly, earthly king. No doubt he's an earthly king through venue of he was a descendant of David. He came from Judah. He's a descendant of David. So as a man, as a fleshly king, he is a king by descent from David. But when God was in Christ and there's no restraint and there's no separation, there's no feeling of being forsaken, he was the king of kings by God being in Christ Jesus. But at that moment in time, being strung to that tree, he's not trying to be the king of kings. He's just a fleshly man as a earthly king. That through divine illustration of his God, divine illustration, if you will, of his Father, is being known to all people. The Bible says God, God, it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God made him, that fleshly man, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. And so he was on that tree representing, if you will, us all. As kings and priests, if you will, in our own right and in our own domains of life. But without any means to save ourselves. <laughs> but when he gave up the ghost and the veil in the temple was written twain, and that fleshly body that hung there was put to rest. Three days later, Scripture says, God raised him up. Meaning, what the fleshly side of Jesus couldn't do, the heavenly side of Jesus could do. That the man that couldn't save himself... There was a divine spirit that could raise him up even from the pits of death. That God could save a king. <laughs> so the fact of the matter is this tonight as I come to the close. If anyone is to be saved, even if it's a king, it will be work, the work of God because God saveth the kings. 
And David said that God is the king over all the earth. (laughs) Please do not begrudge your place in him. Please do not begrudge your place in God. Because what you have afforded to you in this place, what you have afforded to you in this relationship is a salvation that only he can give and he can offer. Do not, do not, do not. Just toy in your mind how you wish you would change places with somebody else outside of the reign of the King of Kings. Don't even toy with the idea of I wish life was like it used to be before I knew the don't toy with that idea because the very fact of the matter if you toy with that idea if you pursue your idea you already have to give up another facet and that is salvation that can only come from the king so you can have everything that anybody else can offer or you can hold on to what only one individual is capable of giving you and that's your king that you got right now Salvation comes from our King. If we embow our heads in this place this, tonight, there may be people sitting out here. There may- Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.